Hi, I'm Michael Stittle. And I'm Nick Nanos. Nick, we're back for another season of Trendline, where we release episodes every two weeks. Uh, you can find us on ctpnews.ca, wherever you find podcasts. And of course, if you want to check out the status of my houseplants in the background, you can also see us on YouTube. Oh, that's not, uh, that's a bit, is that, that's a bit of a Charlie Brown plant. It looks a little sad. <laughs> yeah, there's only, there's only one remaining from the, from the previous season of Trendline. We'll, we'll see how this one does, but uh, you know, <laughs> we'll, we'll hope for the best. Uh, so an exciting year ahead for us, uh, Nick, uh, with provincial elections, we've got Ontario and Quebec ahead. Uh, we've also got the U.S. midterms. Uh, we're going to talk about Joe Biden's approval ratings later in the show. Uh, but first, all is not well on Parliament Hill. Uh, why don't you tell us about the latest uh, ballot tracking numbers? Well, Michael, as you know, we track uh, the ballot numbers every week. And uh, when you look at the when you look at the numbers, at least right now, uh, we have the conservatives mathematically, statistically tied factoring the margin of error, but mathematically uh, ahead by a smidgen mm. at 28.5. They're down five uh, over five percentage points. The Liberals are at around 28.2. So statistical tie factoring the margin of error between the Liberals and the Conservatives. Even the Liberals are down four uh, percentage points or thereabouts. NDP at 24.3, up six and a half percentage points. Even the Greens that had that really tough election, they're at 6% and they're mm. up. BQ at six still, PPC at five, but holy moly, guacamole, you know, both of the front running parties under 30%, both of the front part, front running parties are down and the NDP up. Like we've got, you know, with the conservatives at 28 and a half, the liberals at 28.2 and the NDP at 24.3. It's basically a three-way race. We haven't seen a three-way race in quite a long time. Yeah, that's, that's rare. Um, now, is it, how much of this has to do with the ongoing pandemic and the Omicron wave? Because, you know, we, you're also tracking the top issue of concern for Canadians. So where, where does that stand right now? Well, you know, when we uh, ask Canadians uh, what issues are on their mind, their top national issue of concern, check out the trend line, coronavirus, 33%, but it's really a spike. It's been spiking in the last number of weeks, healthcare 11. So actually think about coronavirus as a health issue, healthcare as a health issue. That's 44% of Canadians, environment at nine, job seven, deficit at four. So what we're seeing is, is uh, concern about the Omicron uh, virus. And you, and you know what, Michael, think of it this way. So I think for the Conservatives, you know, the reason why they're probably down since the election is that there's a narrative or a perception that the Conservatives are divided. Aaron O'Toole has had issues managing mm -hmm. his caucus. He's been trying to respond on mandatory vaccinations and Who's got the jab? Who doesn't have the jab? Why can't they have the jab? That kind of stuff. Um, and for the Liberals, you know, they're down from the uh, from the election right now too. And I think a lot of this has to do with uh, I think people basically being fatigued with the pandemic. Uh, the Liberals basically are proposing more of the same, right? More boosters, you know, more PPEs, mm -hmm. more support for Canadian. It's like. And, and, I, and I think uh, Canadians are getting a little fatigued, but you know what, with the NDP at 24, this, this is, should be the dream scenario for the Conservatives. Like, come on, if the progressive vote gets split between the Liberals and the Conservative, between the Liberals and the New Democrats, mm -hmm. that's good news for the Conservatives, good news for the NDP, bad news for the Liberals. So how about this for a question? Could Jagmeet Singh have a Jack Layton or Tom Mulcair moment where 
progressive voters drift from the liberals, go to the NDP, and Jagmeet Singh, once again, the new Democrats become a significant force to be reckoned with. That's going to be the big thing to watch in 2022. Uh, Nick, we're also seeing really high inflation numbers uh, recently, which I I suppose traditionally might, you know, if if it becomes a a question of economic policy, the the conservatives traditionally have have done quite well. Um, what is the year ahead for, for these major parties uh, with issues like that in mind? Well, you know, for the conservatives, for Aaron O'Toole and the conservatives, for them realistically to have a shot at winning, winning the next federal election, and it is a minority parliament, mm-hmm. the first thing Aaron O'Toole has to do is to show that the conservatives are united. Uh, because, Michael, in my experience, it's very unusual for a party that is bickering publicly to be given power because Canadians will go, I can't believe that they're voting for another party because, you know, for example, there might be Canadians that want change. Mm-hmm. They're looking at Aaron O'Toole, but then they're saying, why is there divisions? Why, if he can't manage his own caucus, let's face it, if a leader can't manage their own caucus, mm-hmm. what makes anyone think that they could lead the country? So for the Conservatives, the dominant thing that they have to first put to rest is unity, unity behind their leader. If they don't do that, and you know, for those conservative caucus members that are upset, they've got to decide who's the real enemy. Is their enemy disappointment at Aaron O'Toole or is their enemy the liberals? And you know, right now, the conservatives, some are taking shots at their leader as opposed to focusing on the conservatives. And, and for the liberals, they've got to worry about fatigue with the government, that they pass their best before date, uh, that they start looking like a tired government. Mm. And, uh, and that people just get fed up uh, with the pandemic and want to punish someone and the liberals being at the front of the line on that front. So, uh, so, so, so on, on, yeah, on that note, um, how, how do the liberals sort of re-energize uh, themselves to voters? Well, I, I'll tell you what all the parties have to do. The parties have to advance a strategy of permanent resilience, not like what we're going to do next week. How do we make our workplaces permanent resilient? How do we make our schools and our education system permanent resilient? How do we make our healthcare system permanent resilient for the future? And uh, because you know what, I think this whole uncertainty is a killer for all of the all of the parties. Hmm. Uh, people want to know whether their kids can go to school and how they're going to be going to school. People want to know when they're going to go to work and how work will be and how they'll be safe. And so I would say that, you know, for the liberals and the conservatives and the new Democrats, all of them should put forth, they want to win. They've got to put forth a permanent resilience strategy for Canada so that our economy is, is, is stable. And, uh, but for the liberals, they've also got a, they also have to show why they deserve another mandate and Mm. what's left in the uh, liberal plan that needs to be done. Uh, Nick, it's a big year ahead uh, for provincial uh, politics, as, as we said at the top of the show. Uh, first in June, we've got the Ontario provincial election. Ontario Premier uh, Doug Ford uh, doesn't seem to be doing too well in, in the polls. Uh, and we saw a video of him uh, digging out cars in, in a blizzard that hit uh, recently. What, what was that about? Well, you know, the thing is, is uh, you know, whether you love or don't love uh, the, the Fords, they're the masters of retail politics, right? There, there's a reason why the Ford family has been so successful. Yes, they're controversial, but they have been successful and they're very good at retail politics. And, you know, when, uh, when, when Rob Ford was the mayor of Toronto, um, yes, he was imperfect like all mayors, 
but on the retail side, when there was a pothole to be filled or uh, a problem that garbage wasn't picked up, he made sure that City Hall was uh, was responsive and and accountable. And I think what we're seeing now is uh, is Doug Ford to tap into that what I'll say Ford franchise of uh, being connected with uh, average Ontarians and. Uh, being, you know, it's kind of like, uh, I don't know, did you ever see the cheesecake? Uh, the cheesecake, I, the video? cheesecake video, I did see that, yeah. I watched the cheesecake video, uh, <laughs> and I'd like to say, full disclosure, I like cheesecake. So I do too. Uh, I was interested in, in the recipe, but, you know, stuff like that. Sometimes people uh, people tend to poke, make fun, mm. and uh, uh, politicians, you know, the cheesecake video, the shoveling of the snow. But the fact of the matter is, is those are things that average people do. And mm. uh, and I think what uh, I think the the snow shoveling is indicative not just of the brand of the premier but also that it is election season coming up and uh, you know TikTok June will come faster than we think and uh, it's pretty clear that uh, Doug Ford is is going to be looking to build his uh, build his image especially with some of the polling numbers that show the liberals the provincial liberals uh, much more competitive than they than they've ever been. Mm, speaking of, uh, they've got a new leader in Stephen Del Duca. I mean, do do you think that he can seize on this opportunity? Well, it's a little early to tell because you know, to a certain extent, the provincial liberals are a parking space for some of those disaffected voters that were supporting the Fort uh, Doug Ford. Um, but uh, like all parties, you know, what they have to do is to define his image, and hopefully, before if you're a liberal strategist. Uh, for those liberal strategists, they need to define his image before the new Democrats and uh, and the conservatives define Del Duca. So it's a little uh, it's a little early. It shows that there's potential for sure, but there is uh, definitely risk and vulnerability in the Del Duca. And you know what? If you're Andrea Horvath, you got to be thinking, you know, what needs to happen? She's mm. been a solid performer in uh, at Queens Park. She's uh, led the party successfully. Had a good last election. Uh, but just doesn't seem to have traction right now where people are skipping over the new Democrats, even though they're the official opposition, and looking at the Liberals as an alternative to the Ford government. I mean, Ontario has had an, an NDP government in the past, but that was a long time ago now. And yeah, we'll, we'll see. Uh, Nick, going over to Quebec, uh, Quebec Premier Francois Legault, he, he's been riding really high in the polls uh, lately. And and he did a, a pretty bold move uh, politically, I suppose, or, or maybe not. It, it was his uh, proposed tax on people who refused to get vaccinated, uh, which he said it would put money into the healthcare system. Uh, how, how are his chances, do you think? Well, his chances are quite strong. And, you know, the thing is, is he's had a double digit advantage over uh, all of the provincial parties in Quebec. And, uh, you know, his advantage and one of the one of the surveys that I saw, I think, is advantage had dropped to 18 points, you know, so like wow. to 18, like, come on, you know, that's, yeah. uh, it's still a massive, uh, massive win for Legault and the mm. party. So, but, you know, what's interesting is, is that, uh, you know, we've seen other leaders in other countries like, uh, like Macron saying, you know, he wants to piss off, mm -hmm. he said it in French, but he wants yeah. to piss off, uh, you know, people that are unvaccinated. We have other European countries that are putting levies on people that refuse to get vaccinated. And what we see is Legault uh, kind of going into this space of uh, having a fine slash tax. He won't say the, the T word, but a levy, he's been calling mm -hmm. it. We'll have a health levy uh, on people that uh, decide that they uh, don't want to get vaccinated and don't have a valid reason. 
And I think a lot of this has to do, so think of it this way. We talked about the federal, federal liberalism. They've been just saying the same stuff on the pandemic, mm-hmm. right? And people are like, okay, I've heard this all. Tell me what, what new things that you're going to do. I see Legault's move, even though he has a massive advantage in the polls, as um, a way for him to show that he's doing something else, something new to continue to fight the pandemic. Mm. And that's why I don't think there's a big political downside for him on this front, because what Canadians and voters want to hear from all of their elected officials is like, yeah, 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 we get vaccinated, we wear masks, we get socially distanced, we lock down the economy. Tell me something else that we could do to try to fight this, to give hope to people that this can be controlled and put to an end. So for Legault, I think that's part of his strategy to look proactive and to do something new. Hmm. Uh, and I noticed that uh, the Trudeau government has sort of taken a hands-off approach to this when asked if they would potentially in, you know, intervene in, in Quebec doing this. Yeah, I think a lot of this has to do with, uh, you know, a lot of, and can I tell you something, Michael, a lot of the, uh, a lot of the federal party leaders or most of the federal party leaders usually do not want to interfere in politics in Quebec because that's like the, mm-hmm. the kiss of death, yes. right? Yeah. meddling in provincial affairs in Quebec or in other provinces. Mm. So they're going to steer clear of that uh, just because, you know, Quebec is going to be a key battleground for all of the federal parties. And uh, Quebec could ma- basically make or break the party that could win the election and whether they could even have a chance to form a majority government. Uh, Nick, let's take a quick break. But when we come back, we're going to look at uh, Joe Biden's approval numbers and, and, and see if he's in trouble with the midterms this year. Uh, Nick, so this year is also uh, the U.S. midterms. Uh, it looks like uh, Joe Biden's latest approval numbers are out. Uh, where does he stand? Not that great, Michael. You know, when we uh, look at the trend line, the Ipsos Reuters trend line, where they measure presidential approval ratings every week, you can see the trend line right now. 50% of, uh, of Americans disapprove of his performance as president, 45% approve. And to put this in the context, when you look at the beginning of the trend line, which starts when he started off as president a year ago, his approval rate was at 55 and disapproval was at 32. So you're basically seeing it, not just an inversion, but, you know, just a significant negative trend. Mm. And, you know, the guy's in trouble. Why, why do we just say that? You know, the thing is, is people did a, you know, for some, for, for a lot of voters, they were happy to see Trump uh, leave. There are other voters that wanted him to win and still believe that he won the election. But, you know, if people think that things were going to change, this looks very similar. These are these numbers, Michael, are, believe it or not, eerily similar to Trump's approval rating at a similar point in the Trump administration. Mm. So Joe Biden is not politically taller than Donald Trump. And if wow. we thought that Donald Trump wasn't doing well, well, you know what? Biden's numbers are comparable to Trump's numbers at the same point in their mandate. That's amazing. Uh, so if the Republicans uh, are able to take back uh, control of, let's say, at least one of the houses uh, in Congress, uh, how much control does, does Donald Trump still have on that party? And, and potentially in 2024, could we see uh, Donald Trump make another run for the White House? Yep. Wow. Uh, this is a podcast. I should say more than that. Yes. <laughs> Can, uh, you know, will Donald Trump uh, be the nominee? Actually, it's up to Donald Trump to decide 
uh, whether he wants to be the nominee. But if we look at what he has been doing in uh, over the last year, he has basically been systematically attempting to purge any dissent in the party, to purge any opposition to uh, his leadership as the as the past uh, nominee and the past Republican uh, president. Um, and, uh, and even in a lot of these states, uh, at the state level, he's been looking at getting, uh, I'll call it Trump-friendly Trump Republicans in key positions in a lot of the states and the state machinery. Hmm. So I'll put this on the table. He'll decide whether he wants to be the nominee. I would hazard to say that if he decides to be the nominee, he will be the nominee. And I'd also say that when you look at, when you start crunching out these numbers in the Electoral College, he can win. He can defeat, especially if it's him against Biden. Um, and, uh, and so Donald Trump coming back should not be dismissed and uh, is a possibility because he is setting the stage for that. And a Donald Trump win in the Electoral College, not in the popular vote, but in the Electoral College should not be dismissed either. Uh, I, I think this is a pretty amazing to some of us who, who are watching the January 6 uh, investigation to you know into the Capitol Hill riots and 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 America's just still so divided and and Trump has uh, so many uh, loyal supporters um I guess a, a bigger question for Canadians though is, is is how how would this impact Canada if if we saw another uh, Donald Trump presidency and 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 really has Joe Biden's presidency been actually been any better for us well you know what what we've seen at least in the first year of the biden presidency is a significant focus for joe biden and let's face it he's the president of the united states he's focused on domestic politics and domestic issues that's usually bad for other countries when uh when america focuses on domestic political priorities but the key thing here you were talking about whether donald trump would be any good for canada or even if joe biden has been good for canada the key thing strategically here is that both of those individuals actually, why don't we just say both of the parties, the Democrats and the Republicans, are actually chasing after the same voter, hmm. Midwestern men, right? Middle-aged and older men, blue collar. Um, and the Democrats need those voters in order to hold on to power. The Republicans need those voters in order to get to power. And, you know, these individuals are more likely to be more focused on an America first policy, more focused on protecting jobs in America. Mm. And as a result, you know, I would hazard to say that uh, the binational relationship between Canada and the United States, I think the risk is not who the president is. The risk is who the voters are, that whoever is president will need to keep happy in order to stay in power. And uh, right now, you know, those Midwestern blue collar male voters um, and their focus on uh, on putting American interests first and not being as global uh, as uh, other types of voters is a risk to the binational relationship. Uh, Nick, uh, thanks very much. I, I think we should leave it there. Uh, we will be back, of course, in, in two weeks. Uh, thanks to everyone for listening and, and watching. Yeah, and Michael, don't forget to water your plant. <laughs> I will I will do that, Nick. All right. Okay. See you in two weeks. Bye. Bye. -bye.